Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Sally Brock, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with English champion Sally Brock about hand records, team uniforms, and playing during rush hour on a platform at Waterloo Station. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kill this. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine? Jocelyn, I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. I've been uh, playing a lot online these days. Haven't had a lot of chance to get out to the club, been working a lot. And so any spare minute, I'm playing with the robots. And, And remember how we were talking a few weeks ago about something that the robots do that's sort of peculiar, which is that they sort of hesitate before they dash your hopes and play (laughs) that king that you were hoping that you were finessing? Yes. Well, I've noticed that they do something else that's a little bit wicked. And it's like another way that they torment you. So sometimes when they are sloughing, they slough and slough and they'll start sloughing higher cards and they keep a lower one, which they know is high enough to ruin your life. But they've they've kind of set you up <laughs> by starting by discarding like the first it was the king and then their measly 10 wins the trick. And meanwhile, you're like hoping that you manage to pull it out. And I just think it's amazing how these these robots have been so well programmed to be just like 
a person <laughs> who gets a distinct pleasure from torturing their opponents. <laughs> Absolutely. I have noticed that. And it's so funny you pointed out because I was noticing that particularly this week. Okay. So here's the thing is I never know if it's just because I'm projecting my insecurities all over these robots. <laughs> <laughs> or if they're actually doing it. Because that would be really silly. <laughs> <laughs> And then the, the other thing I've noticed this week, and I don't know if they've been listening to me or quite <laughs> what, but it's the opposite of that hesitation before the rough, which is now they're seeming to do a hesitation and then they follow suit. And I'm like, what are you doing? Are you thinking about which card you're going to play? Are you <gasps> reading my mind? Are you listening to my thoughts? They are listening to the podcast and they were, they realized that we were on to them. And so now they're doing it at other times just to keep us on our toes and never get too comfortable. Yes. Well, you know, I am slightly concerned. I'm losing my mind here, Jocelyn. No, please don't write in and tell me that you think I am. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> the robots, they have some artificial intelligence capabilities that absorb <laughs> information from our podcast about what we think of them and their learning so that they can foil us anew. Hi, I'm Midge from Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and I'm a listener supporter of Story Partner. What I love about the show is that it takes Bridge seriously, but it doesn't take it too seriously. It's a lot of fun anecdotes and comments from the interviewers, and they ask great questions. They really keep the tone fun, but you learn a lot and have fun learning it. Here's how I supported the show. I went to their website and found a link on how to support the show, and it was very easy. If you're thinking about supporting the show, please do. We want to keep it on the air. Now, back to the show. So I have been doing my usual delve into the mailbag. <laughs> oh, I love that. Would you like me to read you a couple of letters? <laughs> You've got mail. Um, <laughs> yes, please. I adore getting mail. As do I. And we have heard from a couple of people on the theme of gloating yet again, some follow-ups <laughs> about gloating. Gloating is really a very popular topic. Yes. And I can always laugh about gloating. So our first letter is from Deborah in Scarsdale in New York. Deborah writes to us, hello, ladies. Like you, my partner and I find the WDP, well done partner, <laughs> exceedingly annoying. <laughs> She's an anti-gloater like us. <laughs> we have found something that we like much better. And then she writes in quotation marks, that was fun rather than well done partner. Because we don't know at the time if something was well played, well bid, misplayed by the opponents, or just good luck with the placement of the cards. We'll look at the details later. But in the meantime, we take a moment to acknowledge and enjoy a good result before we move on. And here's the key point. And of course, we do this in private. <laughs> because I have to say, when I first read that, I thought if my opponents wrote that was fun, I would be exceedingly annoyed also. But they do it in private. So 
I like that. And it is good. So, yeah, I could see I could see doing that. Hopefully we get a lot of the fun ones and not so many of the unfun ones. <laughs> that was not fun. <laughs> Sorry, partner. <laughs> and our next letter is from John in Boston. Hello, Catherine and Jocelyn. You shared an experience where a newer player counted 13 cards, concluded <laughs> that they had 13 high card points, and, and opened. opened. <laughs> you then invited others to share their less glorious moments. My most embarrassing recent bid might be worse. My partner and I like to be aggressive with preamps in first and third seats. On this sorry occasion, in first seat, I had five high card points, six nice clubs, and a brain cramp. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Two clubs. Yes. Oh, God. I opened two clubs and we were off to the races. My partner couldn't figure out why our opponents kept bidding and I kept losing. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, she soldiered on and brought us to an unfortunate game contract. We went down a bundle and, of course, a zero. Oh, the only good part in this instance is that I ended up being the declarer. Then he writes in brackets, I deserved the agony. <laughs> and the entire club got to have a good laugh. Oh, I thought maybe it was going to work out to be some kind of a stumble top. But, but no, <laughs> it doesn't always, doesn't always work out well. And then he continues, you haven't talked about gloating lately. Boom, boom, until today. <laughs> but I look at this differently than you do. I think that most of the time the opponents are just a little too dense to recognize that their opponent had played poorly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's stretching it, but I'll go with it, John. I had a recent experience where I thoroughly botched defense. After the play, the opponents were ecstatic with how well they'd played. <laughs> very, very, very well done, partner. That was fun. <laughs> that was not fun. I did not see this as gloating. They don't play well and just didn't realize that I'd given them the contract. They deserved a moment of feeling like they knew what they were doing. Then <laughs> he says, I'll have to stop sending you emails because I only share my worst behavior. You probably think that I should go back to playing old maid, John. <laughs> no, please keep sending them. We love these bad behavior stories. <laughs> So if you have any fun stories about the robots behaving in extremely devilish ways or about gloating or really any other fun stories about Bridge, please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. These links are all in the show notes and on our website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Sally Brock. English champion Sally Brock has been part of the winning team in five women's European championships. Among her many other prizes and medals, she has won the Women's World Olympiad twice and has twice taken gold at the Venice Cup. She is also a bridge journalist and has authored a number of bridge books. In 2017, she received the Diamond Award from the English Bridge Union in recognition of her outstanding contributions to England's international teams. 
And in 2019, she was inducted into the European Bridge League Hall of Fame. We began by asking if she'd had any interesting hands lately. Well, we had a good slam the other day, which actually features one of my favourite sort of convention things as well. Because so, I like to play weak no trump, and I'm one of the few probably top players worldwide who feel like that. Um, but it's what I was brought up on, and it's what suits me better. So we had a sequence that went one diamond from my partner, and I bid two clubs, and he bid three no trumps. Now, mostly in, in the strong no trump world, that sort of means, I don't know, means all sorts of things, but we play it to mean it's natural, but I really like my hand if you were interested in a club slam partner. So it's sort of maybe 17 to 19 count with a nice hand for clubs. So this worked really well on this occasion because I had ace one spade and ace queen to six clubs and the queens of hearts and diamonds. So I was really interested in a slam if he was interested in slam. So I could bid four clubs and he bid four hearts a cubid and I bid four spades a cubid and he bid five diamonds a cubid and I could bid seven clubs, which is our favourite thing to do. We love to bid slams and grand slams without asking for aces. It's We, we feel it shows class. So that was a hand that came up this week that suited us very well. Have you found yourself in arguments with people about the value of this style of play? Well, most people disagree with us, but there's not really an argument because we just know we're right. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> and what is your range? 12-14. 12-14 always. Not the mini, no Trump, the 10 to 12 or anything, no? No. Though actually we do play a strong no Trump in third seat because we feel that is a bit dangerous when it goes pass, pass and you're vulnerable and you don't really want to open a no Trump with the guy hovering over you. So we do play 15-17 in third seat, but the rest of the time we play week no Trump. This is with Barry, my partner for sort of mixed and seniors and open events. What would your partner say is your greatest strength when it comes to bridge? Probably bidding judgment, I should think. And I'm not so bad on opening leads. Do you think that people tend to get categorized easily as far as people who are strong at the bidding side versus strong at the card play defending side? I think as a vast global statement, men tend to be better at playing the hands and therefore they value playing the hands. And they think somebody who bids better or makes better opening leads just get lucky a lot of the time. Because they can, you know, they can prove that their line of play is better than my line of play because they can work out the percentage points. But when it's like whether one bid is going to work more often than others, it's too complex to actually work it out. So that's what I think. I think generally speaking, men are better, better card players. I get very uncomfortable when people start drawing gender lines. Can I push you on that a little bit? Do you feel that men and women have different aptitudes when it comes to bridge? I don't just mean that you think men play their hands better, or do you really think that men play their hands better? Well, I think it's very difficult. Unfortunately, men are better players than women at bridge. Hmm. The top however many hundred in the world are are men. But is that that might not be because they're better players. That that's maybe not necessarily the correlation. I agree that the top players are men, but there are all sorts of reasons for that. And What's your view on that? 
Well, there are obviously the same sort of reasons that there are for in men being better than women did a lot of things in the sense that women tend to take time out and have children and be looking after houses as well as having jobs and, you know, all that sort of thing, plus the sort of confidence factor. But I think that even if you take those into account, it is a fact that they're better at the moment. I mean, I don't like it very much. I agree with you. I don't like to say this, but I just think it's true. It's the same in chess. I mean, you can't, you can't kind of say it isn't true. Can I push back just for a minute, though? You know, you just said that uh, women maybe have all these other things going on. Do you think that men would be, and I'm using quotation marks for our listeners, would they be better if they were also doing all these other things that women are typically doing at the same time? For example, we spoke with a friend of yours quite recently, Susanna Gross, who was talking about a conversation she had with Bob Hammond. And she said Bob could remember all the hands, but could he remember the date of his daughter's birthday? You know, now if he have, if he was required to remember the date of his daughter's birthday and his wedding anniversary and cook dinner that night and blah blah blah, is Bob Hammond still bringing all his concentration to bear on bridge? And I appreciate we can't test this, mm. but I think we have to be very careful saying that because a field, whatever it is, is dominated by a particular group they are therefore rightfully the, there just because they represent that group and not for other reasons. Yeah. I mean, we've talked with other guests about the fact that there are women's events and the, the women's events have been terrific for giving women opportunities to play professionally. But at the same time, it's meant that there's a different field and perhaps a different level of competition available to women, which has also worked in women's disfavor. In fact, since they aren't in the same competitions as the men, they don't have the opportunity to learn and excel. Yes. And that, and there's a confidence factor as well. I think that men feel more comfortable playing against women than women do playing against men. So I think there's an element of that in it as well. But I'm not sure women really want the women's events. All the women's events that I know worldwide are, are reducing. They're getting smaller and smaller numbers. And, and like there's now a mixed series, which is really picking up and being very attractive. There were more teams in the mixed teams at the European Championship than there were women's. And the standard in the women's is dropping because the top women are going off to do other things. So I, it, it's quite, I don't know, I think the situation is quite difficult and I don't know what the solution is. But, I mean, we're getting there in other fields, aren't we? There are more women on boards of company, national companies and things like that. And as more women do it, then more women feel confident enough to do it and, and then get there and we're quite well represented. But we haven't really got our foot in the door, I don't think, really, with Bridge. If we got so, like, 20% of the top 100 players were women, for example, so we got in a bit like that, and then so more people got in and more people would get confident, more people could see that they could do it, but we haven't really got our toe in the door, really, I, I don't think, unfortunately. It's really unfortunate. Mm. It is, but we'll probably get there some days, as long as the game continues. <laughs> what do you love most about bridge? I think that mostly that you can never master it, that, that in your own opinion of your own game, you make the same number of mistakes, however good a player you are, I think. You just, the more you, the more you learn, the more you learn there is to learn. And it sort of goes on and on and on. What's your earliest memory of Bridge? 
Well, I, my parents taught me to play the game when I was about 14, I suppose. We, we had to, they made us learn whist and then solo. And then when we were considered competent at that, they taught us to play bridge. And my father used to pounce. He used to suddenly say, how many clubs have gone? Is the ten of hearts a winner? What's the highest fade out? You know, things like that in the middle of playing hands the whole time. So it, it sort of got me in the habit. You were on alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm envious. I would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I play, used to play bridge at home and then sort of joined the bridge club when I went to university. And was your game already quite advanced by the time you got to university and joined the team? I don't think so. I thought it was at the time, but it's like you, you just don't know enough about the game to know how bad you are. I mean, I didn't really know that like tournament bridge existed. So yes, I was better than my parents and better than their friends. And yes, I thought I was the bee's knees, but I quite soon found out I wasn't. Did you have a pivot moment where you remember going from not understanding that to realizing how much you had to learn, but implicit in that, that you obviously were starting to really get better? I don't know. I do remember when I first turned up at the university the bidding went three no trumps from my left-hand opponent. This was the first time I played. Three no trumps from my left-hand opponent passed seven no trumps from the next guy. And I had an ace. So I doubled, you know, what did I know sort of thing. So my partner led the king of the suit my ace was in and we took the ace king of those suits. And he, and I was thinking, well, of course I had an ace. And he said, that was such a clever double of yours. You know, it asks for my, for my strongest minor to lead. And I'm going, Really? <laughs> Oh, well, well, that's news to me. No, I just doubled because I had a name. Hilarious. I thought it would mean lead a spade. Well, I didn't know enough to think that, I don't think. But anyway. Do you have a favourite tournament that you like to play? No, I was thinking about that. Well, not special, I don't think. I used to like those invitation. They, they used to have really good invitational pairs events back in about the early 90s. It was just the Sunday Times in London. So it was only the best players were invited and everything. And I got invited to a couple of those and they were pretty special. But um, not really. I just like it all over the place. I like to travel with my bridge. So it's always good to go somewhere else. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What did you like particularly about those invitational tournaments? Well, they were very posh. You had to dress up and everybody was very, it was all very sort of high class. It was a special players room where you could, you know, get tea and coffee and talk to people like, I mean, one of the, one of the ones, I, the first one I played in, my mum wanted to come and watch. So I said, that was fine. So she came and watched and uh, she said she wanted Omar Sharif's signet autograph. And I'm going, mum, really, please, no. And anyway, she insisted. So we went back into the room and I tapped Omar on the shoulder as he was trying to explain why he'd gone off in three hundred trumps or something and just to introduce him. <laughs> And he was such a fantastic guy, really, Omar. He turned around and you would have thought that the thing he wanted to do more than anything in the world was talk to my mother. And in terms of your travels, have there been any places that you've especially loved? Oh, well, we loved Japan. We went to plays in a tournament in Yokohama. And then we went on to Sydney. We played in the uh, Gold Coast tournament in Australia afterwards. That was a really good trip. But I've played lots of times in China. We used to go to China at least once or twice a year. I've uh, been to Moscow a couple of times. That was fun. I've been to the States, obviously, to nationals and things. Everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's a fantastic opportunity to travel as well. And how do you unwind after one of these international tournaments? Well, when I get home, I just want to sleep for about 48 hours. So that's what I do to start with. Well, that's it, really. I mean, I, I don't know. Life goes back to normal fairly quickly. How about during the tournament itself, when you have to play the next day and the next day and the next day? Do you ever socialize in the evenings or do you just take it super easy? Oh, no. We usually, we'd usually go out for dinner in the evening and have a glass of wine or two. Not too many, obviously, but that's something quite good. I, I used to be a bit better with things like going to the gym and stuff, but I tend not to do that these days. But... um my part, my woman partner Fiona is quite energetic, so she always wants to go for a walk somewhere, and so we do a bit of that. You you have some time off during the day. It's very hard, especially if you're in like the later stages of something, to not actually go back and look at how you're doing on your laptop the time when you're sitting out. Which is, I'm afraid, I do that rather too much. I think when I should be completely relaxing, but I don't know. Thinking again about you know when you get home from a tournament. Mm-hmm. So this kind of travel and then coming home and then going to a tournament and coming home, this is the structure of your life, yeah? Yes. I mean, quite how frequent those tournaments are sort of depend. I mean, I first played International Bridge for England in the late 70s. And then I did, I played a lot less after my last two children who were born in like 93, 95. After they were born, I didn't play very much International Bridge at all. I mean, I'd played in the old, I'd say I didn't play in the old thing, but not in the same way as I did later. And then uh, my husband died in 2008. I'm sorry. And I was asked if I'd go back and play. And um, I did. I found somebody to look after. The kids were about 12, 13, that sort of age at that stage. And I found somebody to look after the children. And then I got sort of back into the women's team properly. So I was going away a lot. What I'm curious about though, Sally, is, just the way that bridge players' lives are so very different from, let's say, regular people's lives in terms of the way that you live, do you experience that sense of difference? You know, it must be unusual or is your world so populated by bridge people that really it just is normal in your circles? Well, I don't know many people who are bridge players, that is mm. true. 
But I do find that I like to have something that's coming up, you know. So I'm thinking, oh, well, I won't really think about Christmas until after I've come back from Poland or, you know, that sort of thing. So it's it sort of got punctuation marks in it somehow all, all alive. Got it, got it. What's the most important thing to learn about defence? Well, the three most important things, I think, are counting, counting and counting. It's, it's just all about <laughs> counting, counting points, counting distribution and remembering to do it at a time when you're going to remember it later. You know, you don't try and think about it after about six tricks, try and count how many spades have gone because now you can't remember. But that really, it's, it's, everything's about counting. Do you remember how you learned to count? Well, I think it was my dad pouncing on me when I was 14, you know, how many spades have gone, you know, that sort of stuff. So it became second nature pretty yeah. pretty early on. Yeah. You didn't have to work at it like some of us have to work yeah. at it. <laughs> well, every time dummy comes down, you should be thinking how many points your partner's got. I mean, that's sort of, well, that's what I tend, if it's gone, certainly, well, it's easiest when they've opened a no trump or something and dummy comes down. Like the first thing you just do to start with is work out how many points partner's got and, or... I suppose you could work out how many declare, whatever. I tend to work out how many farms, but what they can have and that sort of thing. And it all goes from there. And then if you think it might be this or you think it might be that, you've got to put yourself in declarer's position to see what you think they would have done. I mean, for example, if they're in some no trump contract and dummy's got king, queen to five in a suit and an ace and they don't play on that suit, they've got the ace. That's kind of for certain because otherwise you'd just play on that suit. You know, that's a sort of very simple example. But there's kind of lots of other things of that ilk that you're thinking about and you're trying to work out what everybody's got. While you're counting, keeping track mm. of what's been played, thinking yeah. about the strategy. Yeah. What about distribution? How do you keep track of everybody's shape? Well, you just count it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't really know. I mean, a lot often the bidding will have given you a clue that you think it is, and then you just kind of adjust when... You find something out every time you find something else about the hand, then you adjust your opinion of what the distribution is. So you've got a blueprint and then you're tweaking it as you go. Well, if I'm defending a hand, which I suppose is more because the, there's been bidding that will help me. So when I'm defending a hand, I'm thinking about what I expect declarer's distribution to be, well, I'm everybody's distribution to be, as the bidding's going on. I like to play quickly and not put partner under sort of pressure or the give opponents away that I'm thinking about something. So normally I'll have my opening lead ready when it's my turn to lead because I've been working it out as the bidding goes on. When you're playing a hand, it's slightly different because most often it's just your side that's been bidding. So you haven't had that sort of information. But still, you, you do know that, you, you know, if nobody's bid, the opponent's points are fairly evenly distributed. You know, if people don't, tend to lead aces against suit contracts. So if they need something else and you've got a king-jack guess, you're going to play the opening bidder for the ace because if they've got the queen, they're more like, you know, things like, I mean, you're just thinking about lots of little things like that all the time, I think. Well, that's what I am. So it's more like a checklist in your mind and not an actual visualization of hand, hand records. Yes, yes, I think so. That's interesting. If there was one thing you could change about your game, what would it be? I do try to play fairly quickly. And one of the consequences of that, of course, is that there's quite a lot of times when I play something and the minute I've played it, I wish I hadn't. And that's what I'd really like to stop. If I could get to a tournament without making a mistake that I immediately know I shouldn't have made, then that would be fantastic. You know, I'd really <laughs> like that. That would be the best thing. 
What is the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you were playing bridge? Well, we were playing in an international tournament and uh, my partner wanted to go to the bathroom. She was dummy. So she went and we are, they had caddies who were helping with the boards. She didn't play bridge at all, but were just helping move boards around. So I asked this cad, cabbie, I sort of waiting over and asked if he'd play the dummy for me because the, they have these big tables in international events and you can't really reach to do it yourself. So anyway, the hand on my left led and I said, small please to this guy. And he didn't really do anything. And I said, um, a small spade, please. And he looked at me a bit blank. And I said, could you play a small spade? And he's, finally he said, they're all the same size. that's cute that is cute it's funny to think that someone would be a caddy and would have just no no knowledge of the game but i told somebody this story for the bulletin and apparently he'd really broken the rules to play the dummy for me he really wasn't allowed to do that And so some tournament director came up to me the next day and said, which caddy was it? Because he really shouldn't have done that. And of course, I had to say I couldn't remember. I wasn't really looking. I wasn't going to get him into trouble. No, no. (laughs) Is there a hot button issue in bridge that is particularly important to you? Well, recently, it's been the issue of hand records. We went to at the World Championship, there weren't any hand records. And then the following tournament, there weren't any hand records records either and I was all set to get a petition out because the tournament director said we might never have hand records again we just have to use up them on all our phones but we did eventually get hand records restored quite quickly and hopefully they'll continue but I'm not convinced I think we're going to have to work at it otherwise they'll get rid of them. Yeah because I imagine you don't want to go out to dinner afterwards and have to all be sitting there looking at your phones. No I know and I can't I mean it's dark and you can't see and it's small and you just uh, I, I don't want to not have hand records. <laughs> I agree. What's the biggest schlamozzle or muck-up that you've ever made at the table? Well, possibly the best one was in um, 1981 in my first world championship. And at the time, my partner and I had the agreement that if we, we normally led the ace from ace-king, but if we led the king first and then the ace, that said we were going to switch to a singleton. So they bid to four spades, went one no trump, stamen, two spades, four spades or partner or something like that. My partner carefully led this king of diamonds, showing that she was going to switch to a singleton, cash the ace, switch to her singleton, declare a one in the dummy and played a heart. I had ace third of hearts, so played a heart and I ducked it for some reason. I knew I could have won the ace and given partner a rough, but I didn't, I ducked the ace. And of course, on the next round, I was so embarrassed that I ducked it that I ducked it again and I now got thrown in with it and then played to let this game through and I was sort of feeling like I wanted the floor to open up and swallow me as you do on these things because of course you're on view graph and everything anyway 10 minutes later the tournament director came in and said board 23 is cancelled the uh, caddy put it on down on the table all the wrong way so it's nobody's fault it's just cancelled so this worst thing that I ever did in the whole championship just disappears from records and the score and everything oh that's great so that was uh that was a very good very good thing that wow happened. that sounds like divine in- intervention <laughs> yeah i've got a few things that like that have happened in my life but anyway yes that was one of them that would make an interesting conversation afterwards did your partner have anything to say about it 
Well, she sort of glowered, but you don't really say anything, you know, at the time. <laughs> I don't know if we had screens in those days. We might not have had screens. I can't remember. But uh, anyway, she knew better than to upset me more when I felt bad about it. <laughs> do you still play that convention? No, not really now. We do Ace for Attitude and King for Count, so you're choosing which to lead for a different reason these days. So no, not really. What's the strangest place where you've ever played bridge? Well, there was a time when we were sponsored to go off and play in some international event. And this sponsor, and I can't even remember why now, but we had to go and play bridge on a platform on Waterloo Station in the rush hour. I think he was trying to get general awareness of bridge. So we just sat there and we had very smart uniforms then with sort of red skirts and black jackets and things like that. We just sat there on the station playing bridge as all the sort of commuters wandered past. That was that was quite weird. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any punters? Did anyone come up and want to know what was going on? Oh, everybody, yeah, a lot of people wanted to go. We had some, you know, he'd got some sort of people who were there to hand out cards and contact details and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it was, it was quite fun. What were the uniforms? Was it a team uniform? Well, at the time, we were sponsored by Gilby's Gin. And they, I don't quite remember how it came about, really, to be honest, but we all had to wear, we we had sort of red pleated skirts and white shirts and black jackets. So we all looked quite smart when we played. I mean, that was before. I mean, now countries have their own uniform and shirts. I mean, we have our England shirts and navy with three yellow lines here that we wear whenever we play International Bridge. But this was before that. That only happened in about 2000, probably. We started with those. And do you like it? Do you like to wear a uniform? I don't know. I can't make my mind. In a way, it's sort of like good to not really think about what you're wearing in the morning. You just And you feel a bit more like a team and stuff like that. But I don't know. They're not exactly very flattering and they're sort of hot. And <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> they come and, you know, I, I go in and out with them. I don't really bother. If something is fixed, I tend to not worry about whether I like it or not because there's not much I could do about it either way. It sounds like a great design opportunity for someone with a little ambition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the trouble is you keep the same. I mean, the French, for example, they'd always have new evening dresses. I The same evening dress. So they were obviously preparing in advance that they were going to go up to get a medal and all wearing the same evening dresses. Well, they've got money in the French Federation. Our Federation, we've had these navy shirts with lines on. And, of course, they can't really change them to green shirts with lines on because then everybody who's ever played needs new shirts. I mean, I'm still wearing shirts they dished out in 2000. <laughs> so, you know, the, the lines are getting more and more faded and I probably could manage. But, you know, if you're going for a two-week tournament, you want like 14 shirts, otherwise you've got to bother washing them. So you want to collect them over the years. But, uh, anyway, that's so funny. Living or dead, who would you most love to have on your ideal team? Just one person? Well, I'd probably go for Giorgio Belladonna. I mean, the Italians are a bit out of favour at the moment and there's supposed to be lots of evidence that they cheated, but I was just at the end of knowing them personally. I mean, I, I played a, I, I interviewed them for do, doing some bidding and Belladonna was such a charming person and such a great player that I would have just loved to have played with him. There's this story that there's a woman called Dorothy Francis who was the wife of, well, co-runner of the Bulletin in lots of American competitions. 
And um, anyway, I can't remember, she wrote something nice about him in the bulletin and he just sent her these flowers and he just put Bella Donna, Bella Donna on the card. And I thought that was so cool. That just, <laughs> it's so nice. I know you talked about Omar Sharif earlier. <laughs> just in case there's someone else. Who's the most interesting person that you've ever played against or had, has been in a competition when you've been playing? Well, I don't know. Bill Gates is around sometimes, which is quite... I mean, last time we came, we came to Austin to play and Bill Gates was there and certainly my partner and teammates were all up to go and have their photograph taken with him and autographs and all that sort of stuff. He played at the Young Chelsea, my local bridge club. He came one night. I wasn't actually there. I knew he was coming, but I had to do something else. And my friend was very proud of the fact that she bought him a Diet Coke, you know, because you know, <laughs> he played against, would anyone like a drink? And he said, yes, so she bought him a Diet Coke. That's great. What would you say would be one of the top bridge books that you've really found instructive for your bridge career? Well, the book I liked most and read right through till five o'clock in the morning was Right Through the Pap by Robert Darvis where he talks, each of the playing cards tells their own story. And I found it sort of unputdownable, like a novel. I would really recommend that for just fun reading. Do you have a favorite convention that you really like to play or a gadget? Well, I like the thing that came up in that first hand. Is we, it, we've bid some really good slams with just this two-no-trump rebid showing a suitable for us suitable for a slam and I don't know anyone else who plays it really but it when it comes up it just makes bidding slams very easy so I would go for that so you open one of something partner bids two of something three no trumps shows a sort of decent hand suitable for a slam if partner's interested and it it's just won us a lot of points. Are there any conventions that you think are really a waste of time or totally overrated that other people play? I think most of them, to be honest. I think that people, especially intermediate players, they think, well, if they just learn this new convention, it might make them a better player. Because in <laughs> fact, it doesn't. It doesn't have any difference at all. But it's something easy they can do. If I said to you, the way to improve your card is to like read three bridge books or play bridge for five years, that's all quite hard. But if you just took up Levensol or, I don't know, transfers or something like that, then you think, oh, you make it. But in truth, those things don't make very much difference, I don't think. That's my opinion. Maybe they get you able to play with a higher class of partner. <laughs> Possibly, but I don't know. I just, I, I just think most conventions are overrated. What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? I think it's really about not making invitational bids with distributional hands. When you've got a fit for partner and some shortage, just bid game and carry on bidding game and bid game next time and something good will happen. And it usually does, is my experience. Sally, it's been so great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much. It's been wonderful. Well, it's been good talking to you as well. So thanks for everything and goodbye. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Sally Brock. Thank you also to our listener supporters who make the show possible. And a special shout out to friend of the show, Larry Cohen. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. 
Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. Supporters receive our newsletter. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Sally says, don't make invitational bids with distributional hands. Bid game and something good will happen. (laughs) Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.